A federal court judge in Canada finds the backbone to rebuke the Liberal government for invoking the Emergency Act for the first time since a world war. We're in the middle of the third anniversary of the truckers' convoy in Canada, and we'll talk about what this ruling means for those who love liberty on both sides of the border. I have nothing to offer but blood, toil, tears, and sweat. We have before us an ordeal of the most grievous kind. You ask, what is our aim? I can answer in one word. Victory. Victory in spite of all terror. Tim, it's great to be back with you, everybody. Tim and I haven't shot uh, the other club in quite a few weeks, and we are back in a rhythm. We're going to be shooting a show every single week, and it's great that we can have our coffees and be talking about some important stuff. Everybody, like Open Mic with Michael Thiessen, um, we are going to focus this show on both sides of the border because of how important uh, the conversation about liberty and a Christian worldview and a Christian application of thought to political dining uh, affects both Canadians and Americans and how closely intertwined we are. Yeah. So. This is going to be produced as per normal by Liberty Coalition Canada in partnership with Christian Week. Liberty Coalition Canada exists to establish Christ's justice and righteousness and to defend those who stand. And our podcasting ministry in partnership with ChristianWeek.org, you can go over there and see what that newsprint site is about. Christian Week exists to provide a practical, balanced, and hope-filled perspective on national and global issues. So this week we're honed right in on Canada on something that we've talked lots about. And in the coming weeks, we're going to be talking about Tucker Carlson coming up to Canada. We're going to be talking about uh, what's going on with the Texas border. Many of you know that I've immigrated to the United States and uh, we're, we are literally lobbing bombs as, uh, as the Liberty Dispatch was started over enemy lines. And so what's going on down in Texas in order to protect the southern border and what does that matter to Canadians? Uh, yeah. We're going to be talking about following the money. There's some... Uh, there's some big evangelical uh, organizational corruption going on on both sides of the border, and we're going to be talking about that. So if you want to support our podcasting ministry, we encourage you to head over to libertycoalitioncanada.com backslash donate. If you click on the analysis box, that supports our podcasts, uh, and that, go that support goes directly to christianweek.org. If you want to support our legal and advocacy work, which many of you have in the recent uh, two months as we've called for you to do so, we're so thankful for that. Head over to libertycoalitioncanada.com backslash donate, and instead of hitting analysis, hit other donations. And I know right at the outset here as we start our new show, Tim, I'm kind of going through um, our information, but we've got some great sponsors who've been with us now for almost two years, and our, our first and um, most generous sponsor from the beginning has been Rocklink Financial Partners. Uh, these are Christian brothers and sisters who we, uh, who, who we, we trust and, and, and we go to for financial advice. So with inflation at 40-year highs, it's unbelievable how inflation is still so high, and economic stagflation on the horizon, 
Rocklink Investment Partners understands the investment challenges that you have today. Rocklink is an independent investment management firm focused solely on creating portfolios of high quality businesses. So would you head over or email rocklink at info at rocklink.com? You can head over to rocklink.com or visit them at rocklink.com. And that is, again, link with a C. I know, Tim, I repeated that a few times, but it is rocklink, link with a C. And just before we get to the important, I see what you see. Sorry, I'm laughing at an, the, the new ad that I see, a new sponsor dropping in. So continue your ad reads there, Mike. <laughs> Yeah, I could see that. I could see that coming up. Everybody, yeah. uh, our, our new sponsor is uh, the Teeson Puppy Mill, and uh, we have puppies for sale. So we have nine beautiful golden doodles for sale. They will be ready in four weeks. I was reminded this week that I have a podcast that I can tell people about this. Look, come. This and did visit not. The this did not counter. go through. This Come did over not to go Kentucky through the ad, the ad and border. visit the Ark Encounter yeah. and then pick up a puppy from our beautiful, quiet, golden doodle, Erevis, our beautiful dog, which everybody loves. So puppies are for sale. Uh, just email info at uh, libertycoalitioncanada.com and those emails will get forwarded to me. Email That's the White House. The ads. Email the White House if you want puppies from Mike Teeson. <laughs> I don't know how that ad slipped through our uh, vetting council, but <clears throat> anyway, it is great to be back in the other club with you, Mike. Thanks for all that you do. And just uh, to our listeners, thank you again for being with us and, and supporting this show along the way. We, if you're a Canadian listener, uh, you know, we've talked about this a ton. If you're an American listener, you saw this on the news. This was worldwide news. We're right in the middle of actually the third anniversary of the trucker convoy. Um, this made headlines all across the world. It actually uh, inspired some similar movements up in Europe, over in Europe, I should say. And uh, we saw something similar happening toward Washington here in the States. And it was the first real organized and public resistance that showed any promise in Canada against the COVID safety measures. Okay. So uh, Mike, we were leading churches at that time. We were involved uh, with local politics, local mayors and counselors, uh, local media, uh, we uh, health units, um, store and business owners, shop owners. We were involved with these sort of every sphere of society, society trying to organize some kind of resistance to what was happening with our civil rights in Canada. And nothing seemed to move the needle at all until the trucker convoy launched out in British Columbia and started to move east across Canada and picked up steam, picked up supporters, picked up uh, donations from all across the country and coming in from the world even as well, because there, this was the real dagger thrust that was that was looked like it was finally going to cause some damage in terms of um, bringing an end to that heavy hand of the the COVID restrictions. Uh, and of course, how that ended was, <laughs> is this is this triggering? Because <clears throat> no, so you're it, laughing it, at my puppy ad. But here we are, like the entire time we've been trying to say the trucker convoy was peaceful. It was wonderful. And you're oh, like, yeah. it, it was, was a dagger. dagger that stabbed at the heart and inflicted violent wounds. So here's the thing. If they're going to tell us it was violent, we might as well talk like it was violent. Um, 
But well, yeah, that, the are... whole point of my next part is that it didn't meet any of the thresholds of violence. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Good, right? but, yeah. but but you know me, I with my rhetorical flourish. Yes. Uh, these are metaphors, of course, friends. Yes. None of this is advocating any kind of real dagger thrusting. <laughs> uh, but thank you for pointing that out. It, it was, but it really felt like the first thing that was going to do anything to help release us from what was going on. Mike, we were down there. You you yeah. brought half your church up to Ottawa. Um, stayed at my house. We ordered pizza. We all went down and, you know, we, we were bringing as much fuel to this thing as we possibly could. We were podcasting from downtown. We were interviewing, praying for, you know, this, yeah. this was our world got, drew into this. Uh, and of course, after three weeks of, um, that protest, which by the way, only lasted even three weeks because nobody from the federal government came down to talk to anybody. <laughs> I think that's, it was it was the middle of winter. Nobody wanted to be there for three weeks. Nobody wanted to be there for a month, but they were refused any type of diplomatic uh, negotiation, any type of meeting, any type of, con any type of concession at all. And so it dragged on three weeks. Probably nobody thought it would last. People thought maybe it would last a week. And of course, the protest was unilaterally squashed and vacated. And this was after not only uh, ignoring, well, I wish they only ignored it, but they, they Justin Trudeau from his cottage, called it full of misogynist racists and extremists, uh, false accusations, slander, name calling, everything you can imagine. And of course it ended when they invoked the emergency act on a Friday morning, I believe it was. And by Sunday they had forcibly removed the entirety of the peaceful protest. And so we're right in the middle of that anniversary. That was three years ago this week. Um, end of January here. And by the early February, it was gone. And so it's a good time to revisit this story and look at some of those details, Mike. Um, but the emergency act is really the heart of what this episode is about and what that ruling represents um, that just came down from that federal judge in Ottawa. Yeah. So of course we're in the middle of the anniversary, but we are, we are rejoicing with the justice center for constitutional freedoms with their announcement um, that 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 the emergency measures act was as it was used was unconstitutional now you you touched on a subject that's really important the the emergencies act or the emergencies measures act is the canadian replacement for a previous canadian act called the war measures act and tim just as we were starting the show and we were kind of prepping our notes I don't know of a modern example of warfare outside of the Hamas terrorists, even when we're talking about Russia and Ukraine, and uh, so many people are just unabashedly on Ukraine's side there, um, Ru even in that Russia was attempting dialogue and diplomacy prior to an invasion, like diplomacy is, e even if you don't agree with either side, diplomacy is such an important part of civil discourse. And that is why the trucker convoy was giving so much hope to Canadians because people just thought, okay, there's going to be a thousand trucks downtown Ottawa they all went to Justin Trudeau. They, they all worked with local police in order to make sure emergency lanes were open. They're on Parliament Hill. Surely this will get the attention 
of the prime minister and his cabinet. And again, you have to remember now that now that I live in the United States, Tim, you, you have to realize we're talking about um, on Valentine's Day of 2022. The United States was already out of any type of lockdown uh, in the spring of 2020. You know, there were a few states, California and New York, that had extended measures. But the vast majority of the United States were completely out of any form of lockdowns or mass mandates. Um, they were still grappling over the vaccine in certain areas. But the reality of it is, is Canadians were exhausted. And the thought of finally, there is going to be some diplomacy. Finally, you know, someone, an elected official is going to hear from the people and say, okay, we're going to wrap things up. But instead of that happening, they, 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 they um, enacted the successor to the War Measures Act. And I want people to understand the threshold that they were supposed to achieve or the grounds for which they were supposed to prove. In order for the government's declaration to be legally justified under the Emergencies Act, the federal cab uh, cabinet must have believed on reasonable grounds that there were threats to the security of Canada so serious as to be a national security. The term threats to secure uh, the security of Canada is defined by the Canadian Security Intelligence Service Act. And this is what this is what you have to hit. And we've covered this in the past, but now we're reviewing this for everybody. First of all, espionage or sabotage that, that is against Canada or is detrimental to the interests of Canada. Foreign-influenced activities within and related to Canada that are detrimental to the interests of Canada and are clandestine or deceptive and involve a threat to any person. Activities within or relating to Canada directed towards or in support of the threat or use of serious violence against persons or property for the purpose of achieving a political, religious, or ideological objective within Canada or, or foreign state. And finally, activities directed towards undermining by covert unlawful acts and directed towards and intended ultimately to lead to the destruction or overthrow by violence of the constitutionally established system of government in Canada. And there is not a single category that the trucker convoy fell into. Inconvenience to Ontario, uh, to Ottawa citizens? Yep. Inconvenience to the government as they sit out, sit in their offices or at their cottages and, and ignore the, the state of the country. Yep. But nowhere in there was espionage, foreign influenced activities involving threats to individuals, activities related to serious violence, or ultimately trying to overthrow by violence. This is a War Measures Act replacement. So we're talking about whether or not we go to war with Germany. It, it hands out powers to the government that are strictly temporary and strictly extraordinary. So the, the entire suggestion that the act should be deployed in any sense raises the rhetoric of the protest that was happening to that of being an occupation of an enemy. It really was the C Canadian federal government declaring 
declaring war. Now, were people bombed and shot in the street? No, I'm not comparing it to real all-out hot warfare. But it was it was power measures of power given to the federal government as if they were dealing with an enemy, as if they were as dealing. If they were- they were they were declaring war in the sense that they were telling the country these people are at war with Canada. Yeah, and they represent undermining the interests of Canada. They represent a threat to the fabric of this nation. So the the entire discussion of the of the war measures that coming up just jacks it. it it shocked people like you and I remember we were podcasting. We kind of had a home base out just West of Ottawa where we were podcasting out of, and then we would go into the city and this was all happening. You can go back and check the record on Liberty dispatch. And um, I think we did uh, the Liberty lounge together on this as well, but we were processing this stuff live. Uh, You know, we had people calling in from, from the front lines, hearing what was coming back and what local law enforcement was saying. And it was just shocking. The entire sense of hopefulness and optimism and progress and hopefully a return to uh, liberty in Canada just felt like it had been snuffed out, like night, like nitrogen was just poured into the room. And you just, yeah. you thought that because the, what the government was doing, you cannot understate how extreme the government was reacting to this to this convoy because again you go back to the fact that the convoy came well organized with a list of demands with a with an envoy and with emissaries or whatever you want to call them representatives diplomats who were willing to meet with and asked to meet with the federal government and its cabinet ministers and its safety ministers politicians asking yeah so so what enemy comes and asks for a diplomatic meeting and then you refuse those meetings and then you turn around and shoot them now of course metaphorically but that's what's happening here is they're they're the the invocation of this measures act was saying that we cannot deal with these people in any other way we've exhausted every measure and our only hope now is to take drastic powers to suffocate this movement yeah go into the specifics tim of what powers they took to sure so so the the emergency act you got so what changed what was the government not allowed to do before and allowed to do before well number one the the um, emergency measures act gave the government the ability to create and draw out a physical quote no no go zone around the parliamentary precinct so this literally restricted canadians freedom of mobility so this is explicitly restricting canadians rights of freedom of assembly and mobility. They created a no-go zone, which if you entered with a vehicle or on foot, you could be arrested if you didn't live within that precinct. So they created an off-limits, like a war zone, like a tactical command center where they gained full military control of this zone. Where uh, where literally people were sneaking across frozen rivers and around fences in order to get in um, and 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 stay with the stay with the protest, right. and and it, it really literally felt like a war zone. So okay, they created yeah. a no, no go zone. What else? So the government also was allowed to compel banks to freeze bank accounts. Now this, I don't want to pass over this like it was just one of the measures. When the government freezes your bank account, this is literally an act of war. If you look at sanctions like when Russia attacked Ukraine and the West didn't like it, what is the first thing they do? They put sanctions on you. 
That means you freeze assets, you freeze trade, you freeze capital. This restricts your ability to carry out the functions of a government. But when it's on a local scale, it freezes the ability of a family to carry out its duties. So <clears throat> we know of individuals who are unable to make mortgage payments, individuals who are unable to go to the grocery store and buy groceries, individuals who are unable to pay their heating bill in February. We are, and it went, it lasted for weeks. We had people in our church who were on a frozen bank account for weeks. And beyond that, it also triggered voluntary restrictions by banks when they were not compelled to do so. There are banks that we know of that were ending client relationships, terminating clients because of their affiliation with the convoy and, and further locking bank accounts after the federal government had lifted its restrictions. So the effect of this was very radical, a radical advance of authoritarianism and fascism. When you look at the technical definition of the uh, private industry partnering with the public sector, it is an unprecedented power. When you have banks like RBC and TD Bank and Scotiabank, and there's only five major banks in Canada, it's not like in the United States, that control everybody's money, the flow of everybody's money, and the government says flip a switch and you knock all of those debit cards offline it is an act of war against those families, those individuals who are standing against the federal government's ideals. I want to be very, very clear on this. They were th – those banks were given um, – uh, they, they, were, they were given um, – they could not be found guilty. What's that called? They were given Im immunity. They were given immunity, and it was the government giving them the list, and the bank could close – Bef while doing an investigation so they could they could do their own investigation and they had the powers to shut your bank account down and 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 specifically on this just just to the point of of, of I, I really like it tim how you connected that dot on sanctions um this is this is re reaching so far in to the to the privacy and and control of your own funds with no recourse to your bank. Yeah, you can't take your bank to court and say that was unconstitutional. Okay, what else they did given, they do? So those were the first two. They created a no-go, like a war zone, a tactical command zone. They created, uh, they were allowed banks to shut down bank accounts. <clears throat> uh, they also, number three, they allowed, uh, it allowed police to commandeer local private enterprise to clear out trucks and blockades. So a lot of the local tow truck drivers or, um, you know, large unit hauling trucks, they stayed, they were like, well, what are you going to do? How are you going to move out 400, um, 18 wheelers? How are you going to do that government? And the government said, well, under the emergencies act, we can force you to take your pickup truck downtown and haul a, a, a an 18 wheeler out of the zone. So that was a huge piece of this as well. Cause everyone thought, well, the government can tell us to leave, but how are they going to get the trucks out of there? That's construction um, so a, and that's drafting. That's right. That it, this is we're talking. There's a reason it's called the War Measures Act because it is wartime conscription and tactical and military liberty in place of uh, civil liberties, in place of uh, typical Western uh, liberties of speech, association, communication, all of that stuff. With zero diplomacy, not zero one. Not yep. one conversation.
Not one with meeting. Convoy organization, uh, organizers. Number four, number four, it, it gave the power, and I'm sure there's others, but these are the four major ones. It also gave the power to call in the RCMP, the National Police Force, um, and other local police forces to forcibly remove peaceful protests. Because what they did was they created um, tactical crowd control walls, which, which requires volume. So before the police presence was heavy, there were large, you know, precincts Fences. of cops fences there was large groups of like police we see them we'd see a group of 30 police officers walking down the street there was no shortage of um police presence which was important and i totally agreed and accepted that and there was a good rapport between police and oh you and i disagree upon that you and i disagree upon that there was a ridiculous amount of police presence for a bunch of homeschool moms and truckers uh down at a convoy the the police presence was there to intimidate and the 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 emergency measures act was the final straw where it gave them the the permissions to uh recruit over a thousand yeah. police officers yeah. to trample canadian citizens with uh with 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 uh, with a horse right. uh, well horse this troop this is going to, yeah to the emergencies act now i I, I think in practice, the police presence was probably somewhat intimidating but in but in practice it was that a lot of them were you know, having nice conversations with people up and down the street. So, but you're, but the point is for the emergency act to clear up protesters, you need volume because you need tactical crowd control units with battle shields and riot gear, which is what they had. Uh, we saw the butt end of rifles being driven into the backs of protesters who are on their knees with their hands up. We saw full military tactics deployed against peaceful protesters who never got a word in with any of these. So these are the powers that it allowed the federal government to use to put an end to this protest over the course of a 48 hour period. It was from a Friday to a Sunday. And I I don't know how long the no go zone lasted that, that tactical zone, but um, these were the powers essentially to Saturday or Thursday Thursday to Sunday. Okay. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So this, this, that's the fruit of the emergency or the, the emergency act. Um, and then we're going to, obviously you can tell for Mike and I, this is just so uh, poignant. It's so visceral for us because when you were on the side of those who were speaking for you and who were acting on your behalf, um, it was, it was very emotional and it was very disturbing to see how it was dealt with. So for us, yes, we're excited about this ruling. Uh, Mike, why don't you walk us a little bit through that ruling or how do you want to? Yeah, yeah, I, I want to walk, I'll walk you through a little bit of the ruling. I, I do want to make a point um, for our listeners. A lot of people, a lot of people in, in our, in our normal life, Canadians live on both sides of the border. You know, we vacation in the U S all the time. We're down here in the U S all the time. And I do just want to make it clear that this was the day that I pulled the trigger I made the decision to move our family out. In fact, for a year and a half, I had written down if they declare the War Measures Act, I had written down four things that if the Trudeau government breaches, that no matter what happens after that, I would move my family out of Canada. And this was the final straw. When they invoked this act, we left Ottawa and started immediately praying and communicating to our church the need to move out of Canada. Now, the reason why I caveat this good news of this court ruling with that information 
is that this is one of or the only positive court ruling that we have seen when it comes to constitutional freedoms in Canada. This is the first time a judge has ruled that anything the federal government did or the provincial government or the local municipalities was unconstitutional. They will regularly say that, yes, the, the courts have regularly admitted that the rights of citizens were infringed upon. But this is the first ruling that says, but you did not meet the threshold of the Constitution. And so we are very happy about this. But as many of you know, and you're listening, we are not out of the woods yet because Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland has already said that the government is going to use taxpayers' money to appeal this decision. So I, I'm just throwing that out there, everybody. This was the thing that compelled me to say, if they get away with that, then it's time for us to leave. So we're, you know, we're going to continue to bring you all this information. Me on on state side, we're going to continue to talk about, you know, Christian understanding of these things from both sides of the borders. Maybe in the future, the Lord will call our family back to Canada. But for now, it was this emergency measure act that I had prayed to the Lord and said, if that gets declared, Lord, then I'm then I am leaving Canada. So uh, this is great news, but that was the severity of what Tim and I saw on the ground when we were in Ottawa, the way that Canadians were treated with zero diplomacy. So the federal court justice, Richard Mosley, uh, ruling on the case brought against the federal government by civil rights groups that included Canadian Civil Liberties uh, Association and uh, the Canadian Constitutional Freedom, and of course, our friends over at the uh, JCCF, the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms, um, ruled in favor of Jeremiah. Uh, it's either Jeremiah Jost or Yost. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if there's a, a Dutch influence there. Uh, ruled in favor of uh, of of this. Uh, of this appeal to them, uh, stating that uh, the federal government did not meet the, the the threshold for the Emergency Measures Act. Of course, this also was brought by a friend of ours, Kristen Nagel, with the Frontline Nurses. She is she's a, a part of this filing, and so uh, he's a lifelong Ottawa senator, uh, centered judge. Uh, an attorney, notable uh, that he wasn't drawn into the status quo judgments coming from the higher institutions. I want to pause right there, Mike, because I, yeah. I put I, I I made note of that because he is an auto. He's a lifelong Ottawan. OK, he's worked and served. He taught at Carleton University in the law department. Yeah. Um, he's been a judge in Ottawa. And one of the things that was so suffocating about this period was the failure of the divisions of power to exercise their own judgments. So I, I, uh, I think Steve Dace uses a great analogy where he's like lesser, lesser governments shouldn't act like a funnel where they take the rulings from above and then spew it onto you and, and layer it onto their lowers. They, they should be exercising their own jurisdiction and judgments over things. And so when the vaccine mandate came down, that wouldn't allow people to eat in restaurants who didn't have their vax pass. I emailed our local town councils and mayors and I said, it's up to you 
to prevent this ruling from affecting our town. Like, don't let this scourge, this evil policy, don't let this come here. We don't have to. We just say, no, we're not doing it. Send a message, everybody. We're not dividing our town like that. But instead, he said, uh, he emailed me back and said, I'm in full support of this, by the way. I want nothing. I don't care about your resistance or your, your reasons why not. But what was so suffocating was that no matter who you asked, it was like, well, what do the feds say? What did the government, what did the government, what did the prime minister's office say? Nobody cared. Nobody wanted to oppose what appeared to be the highest power when in fact, the, the framers of e even parliamentary systems or the Republican system in the United States was that you would have division of powers. You would have layers of authority that would check and would resist the, the overflow and the tsunami of federal power. And this is why in Canada, this is the first breath of just even slight hope of fresh air because this is a Ottawa federal judge who is saying, I'm not just going to signal relay the same thing you've been hearing for three years, which is that nobody did anything wrong. Oh, what you're asking me? No, everything's fine. You know, you're a judge. It is your job to, to adjudicate the case, to look at the facts, to look at the law as it is stated and not what the media said you should believe and to bring down a ruling. And he did that. And so there, there are some people who still believe in, taking their responsibility and their sphere of authority um, seriously. And that, and I just want to make a practical point that that's important for all of us to be a self-governing people, which is in the constitution of the United States to be an, to be a responsible member of society, no matter what type of government you're in, it requires you to be thoughtful and responsible where you are with the people that God has given you to lead. And to rule in some cases and, and to be wise and not just to look at somebody over your shoulder and go, well, what do they want me to do? Because the further away the authority is from the local people, the less concern that government has for their well-being. And the closer you are to the people, the more you know what they need and what is good for them. And this is why local pastors like we were, were saying, well, yeah, the government is saying that we can meet over Zoom, but I know as a pastor that's going to be very harmful to my people. So I'm going to call them together. We're going to still celebrate the Lord's the table and baptism and singing, and we're going to do all that stuff that the government says not to um, because we know what is required for our people. And so that's just an exhortation to say this is what um, this Judge Mosley is doing, and this is what's required of all of us is not just to signal relay and repeat what we think we're supposed to say. We each have so, an opportunity to lead in our own sphere. So I just wanted to make that point, Mike. No, it's a good point. Um, so just reading from um, the decision, um, we have um, the final decision to invoke the act and declare an emergency was the decision of the prime minister with the approval and support of cabinet. The formal documents conveying the recommendation of cabinet were submitted to the GIC by the Minister of Public Safety and Emergency Preparedness. So that that's the decision that is under review. And um, I know you wanted to talk a little bit about some of those individuals who are part of making that decision and, and what's happened to them since. I want you to share about that while I look further in the document specifically to what the judge has now said um, about 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 that decision to declare the, uh, the act. Right. So, um, to invoke it. You just mentioned where the decision began to invoke the emergencies act. Um, 
this is an important point that doesn't get a lot of coverage, and that is that the government was not responding to um, tactical intelligence. They were not responding to local law enforcement calling them up and saying, this is getting out of hand. We need you in here. We have credible, credible threats left, right, and center. We just don't have the police power. We need emergency powers. This came from a politician. This came from the political side of the equation. This did not come from law enforcement. The recommendation, the idea to invoke the act did not come from law enforcement. It came from clerk of the Privy Council and secretary to the cabinet, Janice Charette. She is the one who came to the Minister of Public Safety and said, I recommend that you invoke – she's the advisor to the Governor General. Okay, so this is – this the governor general is where overarching parliamentary power comes in. Okay, the to prorogue parliament or to suspend parliament, those things come through the governor general. And Janice Charette is the advisor to the governor governor general. So she represents a an advisor from the crown, from the head of state. Okay, for Americans, the Canadian head of state is the the sovereign, the king or queen. We don't have a local president. The prime minister is not the head of state. So we have advisors, whether they be symbolic or just administrative, they are still significant in that they represent the crown. They represent the higher, the head of state authority. And it was her recommendation to bring this to pass, to invoke it. She's not a tactical uh, law enforcement officer. She's not an intelligence officer. She's not a national security advisor. She is secretary to the cabinet and clerk of the Privy Council. And by the way, she's recently just gone into retirement. So not sensing a lot of accountability coming her way either. Uh, we also just saw that the Minister of Justice, David Lametti, recently resigned. So he's got, so he he was, and by the way, he went on CTV News and he said he's proud of his role in all of the major events that took place while he was in office. And he mentioned the convoy by name. He's proud of the work that he did, and he's proud of his role in that, despite the fact that he's been now rebuked by a federal judge for violating the constitutional rights of Canadians without justification. These people don't care whether or not their governance is within the bounds of the law or the constitution. They have a vision to remake Canada. And this is, this is how they're doing it. They're doing it by the forceful hand of the law. There, there's no respect for Canadian heritage or constitutionality. These people just despise the natural order of Canada and they get to ride off into the sunset, regardless of what this ruling says. They, they'll start at a new law firm, or they'll go on to be a circuit speaker at the local universities. But they're out of the picture now. And they will do as they're told in order to advance the new political agenda or the continuation of the political agenda of the Liberal Party, um, who is seeking re-election this coming year. And and so let's let's just get rid of all of the... Try to erase the memory. Let's get some fresh people in here. Um, and so, uh, yeah, this was so political. But again, I want to repeat, it was not diplomatic. The the entire it would have been fine if a politician was saying, "Look, I think we have to go. I think we have to go to war with Germany. They're about to d destroy the known world." Okay, well, the, that decision is going to lay with the prime minister and the cabinet. Okay, that's fine, but. There, there's no dialogue with Canadians, and as you just said, there, there's no real, um, there's no real law enforcement emergency. In fact, as 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 you know, you're on the ground. The the, the truckers worked with the local police, worked um, with the OPP. 
in order to ensure that emergency lanes were left open, in order to constantly restrict the um, uh, the protest to a certain area. Okay, so look, let, let me read his decision. And this is from page 124 of um, of the decision. At the outset of these proceedings, while I had not reached a decision on any of the four applications, I was leaning to the view that the decision to invoke the EA was reasonable. I considered the events that occurred in Ottawa and other locations in January and in February 2022. Um, I considered, sorry, the events that occurred uh, in Ottawa and the other locations in January and February 2022 went beyond legitimate protest and reflected an unacceptable breakdown of public order. I had to continue to have considerable sympathy for those in government who were confronted with this situation. Had I been at their tables at the time, I may have agreed that it was necessary to invoke the act. And I acknowledge that in conducting judicial review of that decision, I am revisiting that time with the benefit of hindsight and a more extensive record of the facts and law than that which was before the GIC, so the, 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 the review committee. And now he goes on, paragraph 372. I have concluded that the decision to issue the proclamation does not bear the hallmarks of reasonableness. There are three hallmarks here, and he, he has them in, uh, in dashes. Justification, transparency, and intelligibility. I was not justified in relation to the relevant factual and legal constraints that were required to be taken into consideration. In my view, there can only be one reasonable interpretation of EI sections 3 and 17 and paragraph 2Cs of the CSIS Act, and the applicants have established that the legal constraints on the discretion of the GIC to declare a public order emergency were not satisfied, which any person on the ground or willing to open their eyes and ears could have told you almost two years ago. And so um, it's great to hear that decision. Um, and we hope that the follow-up the remedies will uh, will 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 be useful. Will be helpful. The um, one of the important things to note about this, and I'm going to tie this into a little. Uh, I want to bring up an article that our friend Andrew DiBartola wrote over at ChristianWeek.org, and we're going to link that article um, when we post this episode, just so you can go back and see it because he did a great job at summarizing um, the Public Order Emergency Commission, uh, but. One thing that we have to recognize that took place, Mike, what, you say anybody who was on the ground knows that. Of course, there was no threat. They were shoveling snow and cleaning up garbage. We were there. Um, people said it was the cleanest Wellington Street had been in decades. Okay. The, if they'd stayed longer, you know, they might have fixed potholes in the road too. The the It was a political decision. It was also a media decision. Um it was really an emperor parading through the streets type of decision where everyone just knows what you're supposed to believe about the convoy. So you repeat a narrative 
And then you just drive that narrative over and over and over again. We had, I remember politicians saying, cabinet ministers and, and MPs saying they felt fearful for their lives going to their offices. They suspended. They suspended. Mike, I tweeted on the day that the that the Emergencies Act was invoked. I tweeted and it went berserk. I got like 25,000 uh, retweets and stuff because I had noted that they suspended parliamentary debate on the day the act was invoked they suspended any opportunity to speak against it the day it was invoked it it, it honestly was one of the most darkest political social moments i may i hope i ever witness i you know lord willing but the point is it was all smoke and mirrors everyone said oh i'm i'm fearful for my life i'm i'm not sure how i'm going to get to work i i don't know if i'm going to make it safe there in the corner none of that was tactically true none of that was physically true but they said it enough so that they, when people said, well, there's an emergency act coming, they said, well, the, it's about time because nobody feels safe. And and when the Public Order Emergency Commission came out, which is required by the invocation of the act, it requires a follow-up commission and an on-record testimony. The prime minister himself was put under sworn oath to, to testify to this commission. I just want to go through a couple highlights for you because this is over a year ago that this commission took place and this testimony went on record on day seven of the commission, the chief superintendent in the OPP uh, who was involved in policing efforts during the convoy told commissioner lawyers that quote, they did not need the emergency act. There was a solution and we reached that solution. In my humble opinion, we would have reached the same conclusion with the plan that we had without the act. Moving Which, by the way, 20. anybody on the inside knows that the truckers had already agreed to leave on the Saturday morning and were waiting to be refueled. Right. So that so that 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 indirect reference point was a was a reference right. to a real conversation, to a specific that the truckers uh, had said, "Okay, if this is going to escalate, we're we we we're we want to be peaceable. We we don't want that. We're leaving." Okay, go ahead. So day 21, Ontario Deputy Solicitor General Mario Di Tomasino was asked if, the, there, if he had any public safety concerns about what was happening in Ottawa. Quote, no, I was still not seeing any significant uh, serious violent crime concerns at all. I thought that the provincial emergency declaration and the orders that flowed from them were sufficient to assist the police in resolving both Ottawa and Windsor. Uh, on day 22, the director Just want to comment the, on that really briefly. Sure. The only reason why the emergency declaration, the provincial emergency declaration was actually issued was not really because of Ottawa. It was more in order to get the ambassador bridge open, which, yeah. which again, I'm going to comment we, on that too. Yeah. We can comment on so, that. Go ahead. Yeah, so we talk about Windsor. On day 24, Internal Statistics Canada documents revealed that, quote, overall, the blocked border crossing, Windsor, appeared to have no, uh, had little impact on the aggregate values of Canadian imports and exports. So again, they said, oh, you're, you're stifling the economy. You're, you're entrapping, you know, blah, 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 blah. Well, Statistics Canada showed that there was no threat to the Canadian economy. On day 22, a document from the director from the Canadian Security and Intelligence Services, CSIS, David Vineau, said, the, and he told the federal uh, cabinet, quote, at no point did CSIS assess that the protests in Ottawa or elsewhere constituted a threat to national security as defined by Section 2 of the CSIS Act. We're not done yet. Uh, we, we saw that... Um, 
they asked commissioner council uh, commissioner council asked public safety minister marco mendicino were you aware that it had been concluded that section two of the CSIS act was not met mendicino replied yes i was aware that section two had not been met under the CSIS act i was aware of that fact so the prime minister and the public safety minister knew that they had not met the thresholds they knew that there was no intelligence that they could justify deploying the act. They knew all of this and, and they did it anyway. And you made this reference early on because I think you had been looking at this article earlier and, and I had been over at the JCCF website. You made reference to this, that it was an act as per the advice of the clerk of the privacy council, Janice, uh, Charette. Charette, yeah. Charette. Yep. It, it's interesting uh, you brought that up and said, look, she, who is she? Uh, that's on day 26 that that testimony revealed that, that, that again, I, I, maybe I'm just coming up to speed to your reference here, Tim. He's not looking to CSIS. He's not mm -hmm. looking to the director. Yep. He, he's, yep. he's not looking to um, a deputy solicitor. Uh, he's not looking to commission of public safety, not looking to statistics, Canada, uh, the the evidence that Commissioner Lucky of the RCMP, this is day 31, that she had signed off on a plan to enforce and remove the protesters from Ottawa in February, a plan which she placed her confidence when asked if it, this plan that Trudeau actually read himself, he responded, I did not see it myself. So like he's gone after someone's advice and now is – Ignoring all of the mechanisms, all of the departments that might actually bring – and so this goes back to that word, intelligibility. There was no intelligibility. There's no intelligence behind the decision. And again, I'm going to repeat myself. There was also no diplomacy. At no point – so first of all, Andrew DiBartolo, great job on this article. Everybody go over to ChristianWeek.org, read Andrew's article. Great article. Um, but in no point – in this testimony, is there also a testimony revealed that the government spoke to the convoy organizers? Like no diplomacy. All right. That, pub, pub, that public order commission. What we should yep. do. Let's yep. wrap it so up. That, well, so I, you look at this and you look at that public order commission, which at the end of all of that testimony, where all the top security brass in the whole country said there was no threat, there was no credible threat, there was no sign of a threat, there was no rumor of a threat, there was no actual threat, there was no violence, I saw no need why the police needed extra policing powers. And the commission at the end of that said, Prime Minister's office is innocent. Uh, they didn't invite. So this commission, this is an example where You've got a screaming media. You've got a screaming leftist uh, population saying that the convoy was a threat and the convoy made me angry and the convoy was blah, 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 blah. And instead of being the grownups in the country and saying to these people, I'm sorry you didn't like the honking. I'm sorry you didn't like the diesel fumes. I'm sorry about all of that. But you live in what's called a free country where people can assemble and blow their truck horns, which by the way, when you requested, the truckers stopped honking at 10 p.m., okay? So that all of you could sleep and get up for your government jobs the next day. You live in a free country. So instead of the adults saying, I'm sorry you didn't like that, but you live in a free country, you have to share a country with these people, they 
pandered and catered to the Karens who said, well, I'm vaccinated and I don't think they have a right to be unvaccinated, which was the majority opinion of Canadians at the time. So the, the government and all of the institutions that are meant to keep the government in check all said, I don't want to be the first guy to stick my neck out to say this was wrong. I don't want to be the first guy to stick my neck out and say, yeah, you know what? The truckers kind of had a point until now. And yeah, Pierre Polyev hopped in and he started defending the truckers, but long after it was too late and long after he had already deduced that there was a popular sentiment in the air about it, we needed people with principle to stand up and face down this screaming mob a lot sooner. And the, the fact is that we elect these types of people. Justin Trudeau, Christia Freeland, who, despite the Public Order Emission, um, Emergency Commission finding no evidence for the government to deploy the Emergencies Act, and now a federal judge saying the threshold for deploying the Emergencies Act was not met. On the day the decision drops, she goes, well, we disagree and we're going to appeal. Based on what? What new information are you bringing to the table other than that you still don't like the truckers? You still don't like that type of freedom. You just don't like those people, so you're going to appeal. This country doesn't operate based on law anymore. And so you have the, the top authorities in our country, the people that we chose to, to govern us and to legislate on our behalf and to drive the direction of the culture of this country, they're going to appeal it. When can you not look a fact in the face and say, I was wrong? I guess we just blew it. It was the heat of the moment and we got it wrong. And now we're going to resign because this is a huge ruling. If you look at this in the course of Western history, for a judge to say that the federal government unjustifiably declared a war measure act against its people, froze their accounts, drove them violently out of a square, created a tactical command unit where people were not allowed to go, and there was no justification for it. You got to say, we really blew it and it's time to clear out. So I, I, we got to look at ourselves and the type of uh, people that we choose to represent us and the, and the tolerance that we have for evil and incompetent people. Uh, we got to look at ourselves really hard and ask whether or not we're doing our civic duty in vetting people and in being a part of the process. Um, and we've got to act like adults too. We've got to render judgments when they're not popular. And I think that's a huge one. It's just growing a backbone to say, you know, I'm sorry that you're screaming in my face and you don't like the diesel fumes and the honking, but these people have a right to do it. And, you know, you're welcome to go to a, a more authoritarian country where that is destroyed in a moment. But I, I think they really responded to the, to the loud screaming mob who said, get them out of here. And the, and the law was literally the law be damned. We don't care what it says. We don't care what the judges say. We just don't care. And in fact, most of them are going to back us up in the next 18 months anyway. And thank the Lord for a judge who changed that narrative a little bit and provided us something to think about. Yeah, it, we're going to need to talk about the remedies uh, in another in another show that the, that the judge has suggested here. Hmm. And um, I think the the one takeaway that I that I want to bring to everybody. Um, is the um, the reflection that our society is only as good as the recognition of law. And so, you know, this is our first show back. But Christians, we have a biblical law. We have the, the word of God, um, the word of God that, that that cuts through men's hearts 
and and we have specific laws like such as honesty and um punishment for crime and i just want to remind everybody that like this is not a trivial thing it's not a trivial thing that the rule of law was ignored and it is not a trivial thing that the government is going to continue to resist it's not a trivial thing it's not a trivial thing to just accept that politicians do what they want and get away with it that's what happens in a communist country that's what com happens in a statist country and it is still not pleasing to the lord and so look if you're still pandering around who you're going to vote for you've got to get out and vote for a candidate um someone like uh maxime bernier uh someone like and and very close friends of ours the christian heritage party um you you've got to cr christians we have to stop thinking that people who aren't for us are just bumbling along and doing their best people are exploiting the system and the more the system becomes exploited the harder it is to see justice so you know you've got to get out there and vote christian heritage party or or you've got to get out there and vote ppc they're the only two parties that were anti-lockdown from the beginning they deserve your federal support um those uh it's one of those two, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm bipartisan. I'm not, I, I'm not sure which way to go on that one. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm willing for, I'm willing for those two organizations to come together. I'm, I'm willing to, um, do ad reads for either one of those groups. They had it right, um, on this, on this situation and it's not good enough to, uh, to go with the conservatives and the liberals and the NDP anymore. It's not good enough to think that voting, you know, if you're a pastor or if you're someone who goes to a church and your pastor's not preached on politics, look, the only rule for a, uh, a charity is that you can't be partisan. So you can get up there and you can talk specifically about policies. You, you can talk specifically about the trustworthiness of an individual, but from the pulpits, uh, of Canada and in the United States, we have to understand that, as we've said many times, politics is downstream of culture and uh, culture is something that you cultivate with a, uh, with a prudent, with a well-trained Christian worldview. And so, and so pastors are the trainers. Pastors are the teachers who are in teaching their people to understand issues. That's, so that's what have, our role is, right? So look at, you know, we were together the other day, Tim, and I, I can't, I can't remember if you were at the table while we had this talk, but it's like, we've gone through the, we've gone through the Willow Creek seeker sensitive movement where you make the seekers, the judge of the church. Okay. We've gone through that movement. We mm -hmm. went through the harvest Bible chapel movement where, um, there's like a strong authoritarianism, and it was really exciting, but there's like just laced with arrogance. We've gone through that movement. Uh, we've gone through the Tim Keller uh, gospel-centered, uh, God is the God of the city movement. And, um, you know, 
overemphasizing contextualization and again, in another way, just meeting the needs of the people. And now we're at the end of the Acts 29 and gospel coalition movement where Acts 29 was like the younger punk brother, uh, the, the cooler, hipper, skinny jeans, uh, talk a mean talk, but know little about what you're doing. You know, uh, one of the three caveats of Acts 29 was cultural engagement. And you asked any pastor in, in, in involved in Acts 29, what does cultural engagement mean? And nobody had an answer. And at hmm. the same time, you have the Gospel Coalition out there just saying we're going to be gospel centered. Now, look, we know that the originators of, of TGC never intended it to be so strict and ridiculous. It was this, I, it was this idea that we are going to unapologetically preach the gospel. We are going to, and the gospel is repentance from sin, not calling people to be soothed, but calling re rebels to be forgiven. So we've been through all of these movements, and now the debate is on about Christian nationalism. The debate is on about virtuous uh, liberty. The debate is on about engaging Christians and, 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 and in politics. And the answer is simply, Christian, your worldview must now be applied beyond all of the practical and social appeals from the world. It must be applied based upon conviction from Scripture. And so if you cannot buy your convictions of Scripture, uh, look at a political party and go, yes, 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 yes. And rather you're looking at it going, no, 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 no. But I like this little thing over here. Yes. Then you're not living out your Christian worldview. You're not living out your obedience to Christ in a way that is helpful for the growth of the kingdom in Canada or the United States. And so it's very important that we start um, really putting all of these things back together, uh, being consistent and, and being unapologetically Christian again. It, it, we have to stop hiding behind uh, these, um, these little uh, bait and click or little gimmicky movements. We've just got to be Christians again, and we do politics in the name of Christ. So Tim, I'm going to give you the, uh, the end screen, uh, the end show uh, plug and a closing statement. <clears throat> so you know that we're releasing new podcasts every week, the other club, open mic, Liberty dispatch and Andrew's new show, LD News Brief, I believe that's Liberty Dispatch News Brief, uh, where he curates news, conversations, and guests every week. So check out Andrew's new audio uh, version of that show. That's going to be great. Subscribe to Liberty Coalition Canada's Rumble channel. Download the Fight, Laugh, Feast app because you can catch all of our shows over there. And we love the guys over in the Pacific Northwest running that fantastic app and distribution network. And head over to LibertyCoalitionCanada.com and submit your questions and make your donations. We love to hear from you and we love and appreciate your support. Thanks for joining us on the other club today. We'll see you next week. Yeah.